Hello, everyone, and welcome to Call Your Hits, a Stormriders Airsoft podcast. Thanks so much for joining, everyone. Before we jump into today's podcast, I wanted to give you a quick little update on Bill C-21, which, for those of you who are not aware, is a bill by the Canadian government aiming to put a lot of restrictions on real steel firearms, but in so doing will also severely impact the airsoft community because it would make airsoft guns prohibited devices. The House of Commons, where the bill was debated, was actually not in session last week. The bill is still in the committee state, which means that politicians are consulting with a variety of different people, including the airsoft community, to have some discussions around the impact of the bill and reworking and stuff like that. So as we mentioned last week, there still is some political will to have conversations around this. So we're feeling pretty hopeful, but we don't have a whole lot more to tell you at this point. So we will update you hopefully uh, next week with a bit more uh, substantial information. That being said, let's get to today's episode. So for today's episode, we're actually going to be going off a comment that we got on one of our YouTube videos by a user in the name of Jordan Glickman. Jordan told us that he's just getting into Airsoft and he's doing some basic mods on his first gun and he'd love to hear us talk a bit more in depth about the actual upgrade progression. In particular, he told us that he put in a barrel hop-up bucking and a new hop-up, but he's looking for an overall idea of the different paths you can take with in terms of upgrading your airsoft guns. Another important question is also, when is it actually a good time to stop upgrading your current gun, maybe your starter gun or whatever, and then move on to a better platform? So for today's episode, that's where we're going to go. We're going to talk about our history with upgrading our own airsoft guns, also talking about how we actually approach it. So if we buy a bone stock gun, what exactly do we do about that? How do we decide and prioritize what we want to upgrade? Which ones are worth doing? Which ones are maybe perhaps less important uh, You know, if there's a budget issue? And then Pat is going to really talk your ear off about this because he's the guy, I say we a lot, but he's the guy who actually ends up doing most of the work. I mean, in fairness, uh, I've been told that I'm not supposed to just respond with, you know, what do you do when you get a new brand new gun, crack it open, take it out of the box? Uh, the answer is actually cackle maniacally for some time. <laughs> um, but we couldn't record that due to uh, a number of internet quality standard laws. And, you know, there's there's a couple of uh, perhaps not misconceptions, certainly, but there's definitely some ideas that float around there. Like if you get a new gun, you should avoid cracking open the met box for as long as possible. Pat, you can comment to that, but you know, there's some truth, but also it's not necessarily the case, right? So if you get a brand new gun and you're thinking about cracking it open right away, I really only have one question, which is, are you a tech, right? Because if you are a tech, if you already know what you're doing, then yeah, as we have established in our, uh, in our earlier conversations about teching and upgrading guns, there's no magic in there, right? You crack open the factory mech box, you are not letting fairies out. It's There's nothing in there that's sorceress or mystical that's running your gun. If you've never opened a gun before and you just got your gun and you're like, oh man, I'm going to crack this thing open and I'm going to modify the hell out of it right away. You don't know anything about that. Be aware that you're in for, you know, not a world of hurt or anything, but some irritation, right? Yeah. You're in for having to do a bunch of work and then put it back together and maybe it works. And so I would definitely say, that if you aren't, you know, a moderately experienced tech even, that when you get your new gun, you should go play with it. You should go enjoy it and mess around with it and figure out what its strengths and weaknesses are and how it works stock. Not just because, you know, that's good practice with any airsoft gun, right? It gives you a baseline to know, hey, what are my upgrades doing? It also means that you'll get to play with it a bit 
and enjoy it a bit before you go through the process of making it not work right because you screwed something up. Mm -hmm. That's really important because I think when we started teching and, you know, when we started teching, what's interesting is that you and I basically started teching at the same time. The only difference is that you kept going with it because you were actually good at it. And I stopped because I was rubbish at it. But like we started cracking open our mech boxes and we're like, yeah, we've got this. And we did not got that at all. In fact, it was very, very tough going. Like I remember cracking open the scar mech box and it was always the thing of you put it back together, but you're left over with parts. And you're like, oh my God, where's that supposed to go or what have you? I would be lying to you if I said uh, that I don't still watch videos before I take specific guns apart, you know? Uh, if you bring me an M4, I'm like, yeah, I can, I, I can take apart an M4, no problem. AK, sure. If I crack open, you know, someone hands me an FNFAL and goes, hey, here, you know, figure out what's up with this, which happened this summer. I definitely needed to watch a couple of videos and just figure out how you take it apart correctly. Uh, M4s are pretty easy. Airsoft rifles are pretty easy to take apart. Right? They're pretty simple in terms of uh, the number of screws and bolts holding them together. Uh, that is not true of every airsoft gun. Uh, and since pretty much 100% someone else has done it and made a video of it. Take advantage of that. Go look at their video and make sure you're not snapping any parts you need to not break, right? But yeah, you're probably better off not taking it apart unless you have some specific upgrades in mind or um, you've bought the gun to learn how to tech, right? And like, there's nothing wrong with saying, oh yeah, you know, I'm going to buy a cheapish M4 and learn, take it apart and break it and put it back together and break it and repeat that process until it goes back together and works, right? Um, and there's some pleasure in that, genuinely. Um, you know, I spent uh, a good three months working at uh, a local airsoft shop doing repairs. Uh, I took apart hundreds of um, G&G combat machines. It was not super engaging after the first 20, um, but you get really good at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In terms of, you know, your alternative, if you do, even if you do know what you're doing, you know, if you don't have a reason to take an airsoft gun apart generally, I would say you probably shouldn't. Like reliving the mech box is a is a reason. Don't get me wrong. You know, do that once a year, sure. Yeah, and so I kind of want to go from there to talking about what Jordan was asking us about in terms of when should you upgrade a gun, right? So if you buy your first airsoft gun, uh, when should you crack it open and start making changes? I think that's a really fundamental question because don't necessarily know. Part of this is also because people, and we've talked about this in the past, because people don't tend to understand exactly how their airsoft gun works. They don't really know whether what they're seeing is like within acceptable parameters for an airsoft gun, or if actually upgrading it or swapping to another gun will yield, you know, really good performance. So here, as an example, you get like a King Arms M4, just stock out of the box. You plug a battery, you go to the field and you're shooting, let's say 30, 30 meters, like a hundred feet, right? And you're like, oh, I need more range. It's like, okay, but how much more range do you think you're going to get by you know, upgrading a barrel or switching to Crytac or whatever, right? Or like a Sistema, like that upgrade, I mean, you're already doing pretty okay. Like if your gun is like a Walmart M4, well, that's one thing. And you're trying to upgrade to like a full steel or something like that. Well, that's that's a different conversation. But if you've already got, like you spent like four or $500 on an airsoft gun, dropping $800 on an airsoft gun, you might think that the performance difference is going to be huge. And in fact, it might only be marginal, right? Yeah, and- this is exacerbated by the fact that airsofters really often like talking up their gear, right? You know, so you got the guy who you put in our hop in an M4 and you're like, okay, this is definitely better, right? 
but it's not like shooting twice as far as it did previously, unless there was something wrong with it previously, mm-hmm. right? It makes a difference. It makes a difference to your shot to shot consistency. It makes a difference to your range, but it's not making a difference to the measure of like, oh yeah, this is a brand new thing. If it was the sort of thing where people with an R-hop just automatically win engagements at range against people who don't have them, then we'd all have them, right? And also we would never lose any games and that happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, right. Like my uh, my nice, you know, very accurized M4 with the R-hop, you know, I still get hit. Like it's, I'm not shooting from outside of people's conceivable effective ranges. I'm just shooting more consistently within them. You know, so if I'm shooting at one guy, I should theoretically hit him before he hits me. Yeah. Um, and like, there's a lot of theoretically in there, you know, and the R-hop definitely gives me an advantage. But if you don't know what your gun does, if you're just brand new to this and you're picking up your first airsoft gun, go play around with it. Go figure out what you can do with the stock parts and the stock hop-up. Partly because you'll probably actually be surprised in terms of the the range and the caliber of them. I know, um, you know, I've taken a stock King Arms out and just run it and been like, this is better than I expected it to be. Um, and, and to be honest, King Arms, you know, we use them for our builds because we like the bodies and the way they interact with the parts we put in them, but they're not actually stellar. They're a $200-ish M4, right? And if you're buying a metal King Arms body and you're paying more than uh, 200, 300 Canadian for it, you're probably overpaying, even new. So there's that aspect to it, right? It's just yeah, learn what you've got, learn what it can do. Yeah, and I think coming back to Jordan's question directly, like, you know, when should you stop upgrading your starter, your starter gun? I, I would like to say, before we dive into that portion, there's also the question of, should you actually be upgrading your starter gun? And so let's, you know, put this out of the way right now. Like if the gun that you're using right now is mostly plastic, right? If it has any plastic internals whatsoever, you should not be upgrading that, period. It's just not, it's not worth it, right? Especially considering the fact that for the amount of money that you're going to spend buying all these different upgrades, you could just, as Pat was saying, buy a King Arms, right? You could spend $200 and get a, a BTC Spectre MOSFET, right? Or you could spend that $200 and just get yourself a, a metal-bodied airsoft gun, which will serve you a lot better. And I think it's very easy for us to come across as sort of elitist about like parts and talking about what we want to put in our guns, because we we really do have the checklist at this point, you know. But, you know, we're not saying go build the exact gun that Phil is rocking if you want to build, you know, a mid-length M4. Go build the exact gun I'm rocking for a longer one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we recommend those parts because we think they're excellent. That doesn't necessarily mean you should go out and buy them right now, especially, right? Nor does it mean that <clears throat> there aren't other parts that are perhaps less expensive and surely not equally as good, but just very close. Like, for example, we often talk about a Prometheus barrel being the best barrel that we use. But for a long while, Pat and I both used Madbull barrels. And were they as nice as the Prometheus barrels? No. Were they like absolute garbage? Definitely not. And they were like 20 bucks cheaper. Actually, I think when we bought them, they were like 40 bucks cheaper. They were half the price. (laughs) Uh, And the performance upgrade moving from my $40 Madbull to my $80 Prometheus was there, Um, And it was noticeable to me because I was looking for it and knew what I was looking for. But you'd be hard pressed to convince me that it was worth the $40 unless you really are being super picky, which I am because I'm a tech. So yeah, like that first thing to probably throw out there is if you're going to go buy, you know, a G&G combat machine, right? All plastic, 
for your first gun. That's right. Um, they're pretty cheap. They're fun to shoot. As long as you're getting one of the non-blowback ones, I'm not even sure if they make the blowback ones anymore. They're pretty rugged. Don't ever buy a blowback gun for your first airsoft gun, please. They break way too easily. And I fixed so many of them. But uh, yeah, so you're in this situation where you're going to go, okay, so I bought a combat machine. Great. Play with it. Figure out what it can do. Figure out how you like to play. Figure out what it can't do that you would like it to do. Um, play it for a year. Don't change anything. Don't give someone money to modify your combat machine. If it starts to wear down and break, then think about switching. Or after a year, if you're still like, man, I really want to be in this hobby. I really want to play airsoft. I'm enjoying this hobby. Think about what you could change to benefit your playstyle, and then start looking to build a new gun. Mm -hmm. And I think personally that the sort of the CM16 or whatever the current model is, the M4 length uh, GMG Raider is a great starter gun. Like I said, they're pretty rugged. They shoot okay. They're not super expensive. And that's kind of my biggest point, right? Um, we've talked recently about how I, you know, jumped into Airsoft and uh, bought a GMG Scar and, you know, dropped $500 just day one, right? That's not a sensible <laughs> approach. Uh, I'm a fairly all-in kind of guy. Um, you know, if you can afford it, great, do it up. But there's an argument that I would have been better served by grabbing a $200 gun the first time around while I was figuring stuff out. Although the Scar um, had a lot more longevity in that sort of tool set, right? Well, actually, and you raise a really good point in bringing this up too, which is that, so Jordan mentions like, when is it worthwhile to stop upgrading your starter gun? Well, I think it's very important to also highlight that just because it is your starter gun does not mean that it is a starter gun. So for instance, your G&G Scar that you started with, I would say is not a starter gun. You spent 500, <laughs> yeah, you spent 500 bucks on it. It was very high quality, right? That's in point of fact, it was my third gun that I bought. I think my third AEG that I bought. And by that point I had already been playing for like three years. Like it was absolutely in no way, shape or form or starter gun. So if you're saying, when should I stop upgrading my starter gun? The question should be more along the lines of, am I actually using a starter gun or is it just my first gun? Because if it's your first gun and you happen to buy a King Arms with a metal body, you can just keep upgrading that forever because it's a perfectly fine platform, right? And so I think probably a thing I want to talk about right now is, so we've mentioned a couple of times, um, you know, Phil's mentioned a couple of times, the metal body being really important. And for guns where you can get them with a metal body or a plastic body, that's certainly always true, right? Plastic bodies by their literal physical manufacturer aren't as stable and that means stuff moves around in them. So it's harder to get them engineered as precisely. You know, you don't want your gun to be loose and rattly, partly because it's annoying, but partly because it actually does impede function. Uh, so as an example, I will generally recommend players not get into the G36 uh, series because they're only available in plastic because the real ones are polymer because it just, you end up with a gun that can't be upgraded to the performance that I want. Now, I mean, if you don't care and you like the G G36, awesome. But I tend to talk from a, how upgradable is this point of view because I'm a crazy gun tech. Also, if you're like me and you tend to fall around on the field, having a plastic gun is more liable to break than a metal gun. It's not to say a metal gun can't break. It's just, I've never broken a, a metal gun, but I have broken plastic guns and I've seen them break too. Yeah, and um, if you have that propensity to sort of slide down hills on your butt or on your face, uh, it's uh, it's definitely a factor that's worth yeah. considering, right? Your wooden metal 
uh, rifle builds um, for those of you who are interested in like running an M14 or doing World War II stuff um, are usually also quite solid. Um, but by the time you're buying a gun that's made with actual wood in it, you're probably buying something decent-ish anyway. Um, you know, I actually want to give a shout out there to um, SEMA makes AKs and people talk about SEMA as being a not so great brand a lot. Um, but the externals on those are really, really robust. Um, and if you're looking for something to upgrade, robust externals are really nice, right? Um, a lot of the reason that we use the King Arms bodies to build our stuff is that A, they take the parts we want to put in them well. So like the Lonex gearbox that we're putting in as an upgrade fits and we know it'll fit and it'll fit every time. And that's money, <laughs> right? Yeah, for sure. Um, but in terms of the upgrades that are in our guns relative to say the SCAR, um, when we when we upgraded Phil Scar, because we didn't actually upgrade mine. Um, one of the one of the downsides to the G and G Scar build that we used is that uh, sometimes it came out of the factory with screws stripped that made disassembling it basically impossible, um, which is a bummer and happened to be the case with mine. So I passed it on to someone uh, who just really wanted to scar and liked how it worked, and that was fine. But there's not a whole lot of distinction between what's in my current rifle and what we put into that um, scar. Other than the scars have a proprietary hop-up, which is plastic. And um, sort of equally importantly, um, we do have the Spectre Fets, which are just gorgeous, gorgeous things. But we had a Trigger Master Fet in that, which was probably the best Fet you could buy at the time, um, or certainly very high up there. Uh, and it, you know, we upgraded the hell out of it. It was a great rifle. Essentially, it only ever stopped getting used because it wore out, yeah. right? Um, like we ran it, you know, between Phil and I and our teammates, we ran it so much that it just physically gave up the ghost. Uh, and honestly, I think that predominantly that was a issue of the, uh, the hop up just getting physically worn out because it was made of plastic. You know, it can't withstand the tolerances of shooting probably hundreds of thousands of rounds, honestly. <laughs> so there's that, you know, play with your gun, run the gun you have bought and get used to it aspect of things. And there's that, you know, if you're on this plastic, you know, you're buying a plastic GNG Raider, you're not that going to want to sink that much money into it. Um, and I already hear people going, well, I bought a plastic GNG Raider and I'd like to get a little more longevity out of it. Cool. No problem. Go find a metal hop-up chamber that will fit in it. Put it in it. That by itself will give you a noticeable improvement. Just the transition from a plastic hop-up unit to a metal one does actually do a significant amount. Uh, firstly, you'll get less air leak because the metal hop-up unit doesn't flex when the gun fires. The plastic ones do. Um, obviously, if the thing that is holding your barrel moves when you pull the trigger, you're going to lose some accuracy. While you're doing that, it's also super cheap. $10 to put a new hop-up bucking in. You can get a nice, you know, flat-top bucking or a, you know, maple leaf hop-up bucking whatever you want to go with and it's cheap and it's easy to do and you can watch a youtube video and do it like unless you are absolutely terrified of breaking your gun or just you know uh completely hopeless with mechanical stuff and you have zero idea what to do with anything mechanical you can do this um if you are in that category where you're like i'm i just I have no idea how mechanical things work whatsoever honestly your gun tech will probably show you how to do it for the same amount as doing it for you. Uh, and that's well worth your, that is worth your money, right? Yeah. The, the learning is worth your money. 
Yeah. And that's something that I'm, I'm pretty sure initially, like we did a lot of is like getting, well, at the time we were really big into like longer barrels, use longer barrels all the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so longer barrels, putting in a new hop up. And I think Jordan actually mentions that in the, in the comment that he left, he put in a, a barrel hop up, bucking in a new hop up. Right. We've had really good experiences with, like you were saying, metal hop ups in particular, I think low necks hop up units. We is what we go with. Uh, yeah, but I mean, there's, there's ones uh, we've used garter ones, but like, honestly, the spare GNG hop up unit I have in the back from upgrading, I think Chris's gun, like eight years ago is still better than the plastic one you have. So like, you don't even need to shell out money for it. And again, they're like a $20 part. Yeah. So your hop up bucking and your hop up unit, 30 bucks. The key thing though, like the reason I'm actually suggesting this is that if you're in an M4 and you put $30 into it, you're going to get most of that back out of it when you sell it, even if it's, you know, a, uh, you know, a combat machine. If you don't sell it, well, you're not losing anything anyway, really. So, like, that's fine. And perhaps the biggest thing for me is if you're moving to another M4 platform in a year, then that part moves with you, right? You don't need to buy that part for the new gun. You're not going to break a metal hop-up unit. You're not really going to wear it out. Uh, in sort of the operating lifetime of an airsoft gun, you will break a lot of things before you break your metal hop-up unit. Yeah, yeah. Um, you might wear about out the bucking; they're disposable, you know. But they're uh, they replace me every year or two or three, kind of thing, anyway. So whatever. Uh, and it's thirty bucks. Uh, if your budget is so tight that you can't afford thirty dollars, um, you're going to have other concerns while figuring out your airsoft budget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I'm not inclined to spend too much time talking about that because I don't think it's super relevant to uh, to the airsoft playing audience. Yeah. But you know, if you buy an M16 uh, or an M4 uh, that's relatively cheap, that's definitely not a bad thing to put in it. Um, putting in a upgraded barrel, a Type 4 barrel, uh, is also pretty good. Um, weirdly, unless you're absolutely sure of a bunch of things that you probably shouldn't be absolutely sure of if this is your first gun and you're just getting into airsoft. I would recommend against buying a Prometheus if you're going to put a Type 4 in. If you're going to put a Type 4 in, go grab a Maple. The steel ones are half the price. They work pretty well um, because um, in the last three or four years, Phil has gone through three lengths of rifle, I think. Mm-hmm. Every one of those has had a Promi barrel in it. Uh, he has gotten some of that back by selling other parts and by, you know, bartering things back and forth with our teammates who are like, I would like to try a rifle that length and stuff like that. Um, but if you're brand new, don't spend that money. Spend a year figuring out what you like doing, what you don't like doing, and then come back and address the idea again. Um, because if you're running that uh, M4, GNG M4 Raider uh, for your first year, and at the end of your first year, you're like, man, I really want a shorter gun. Like it is pivotally important to me that I get a shorter gun. If you've bought an upgraded barrel, it's not going to go in your shorter gun. Likewise, if you're going, man, I really want, you know, to go the sort of like M4 length, M4 style DMR route, that barrel, not going to transfer. So you get a cheap one or a relatively cheap one if you're going to do that. Um, the other thing I kind of have to go with there is, so if you're buying a $200 CM16 Raider or $150 CM16 Raider, wherever you are, and going, man, I have $50 worth of upgrade parts to put into it, buy a better gun. <laughs> yeah. You know? And like, if you're in that, one of the biggest things I see in like brand new airsoft players is the like, oh, but I got to get it now. If the difference between getting 
a $250 gun and a $200 gun is waiting two weeks for 50 bucks for your out of your next paycheck, wait the two weeks, get a metal body, get something that'll last you a little longer. Uh, and even if you're potentially going to, you know, play yourself with it for a year and then go, man, I'd really rather have an AK or man, I'd really rather have whatever it'll retain its value more. Right. Yeah. Um, it is not super hard to find a CM16 Raider, but it is super hard to get any money back out of them after you've bought one. Yeah. Well, I mean, Jason on the team always says buy once, cry once. Right. And although there is certainly, you know, there is a limit, like you could say, well, if, if you've got 200 and you can't get the 250, right. Just wait for the 250. But then you could also say, well, if it's 250, just wait for the 300. And then it's like, oh, 300. Well, just wait for three. Like you can, you could get lost that way. And I think it's, but it's not what we're trying to say here. It's just, there are certain points where you could say, when you look at something, the difference is worth waiting the the amount of time, right? It's the same thing if you you look at like, oh, I could get like this MOSFET today, but if I wait two weeks, I could get a BTC Spectre. You should wait two weeks and get a BTC Spectre because it's better than basically anything else you'll put in front of me, right? Which I'm sure there are some exceptions and some of you in the comments are going to be like, oh, but I love, it's, that's fine, whatever. But yeah, <laughs> you understand the concept that I'm putting out there, right? So I think probably it's fair to say then that the, the key piece there for me is if you're looking at this going, well, which should I do? If two weeks will let you have $50, that $50 will let you get a metal body instead of a plastic one, do it. Yeah. You know, and maybe spend some of that time looking at what goes into that plastic body and that metal body well, you know, um, so that you can figure out, you know, what mags do I want to buy? What mags do I not want to buy? That sort of thing, right? Um, you know, as an example, GNG makes uh, mags that have at the top of the mag a big GNG imprint, and they're like a PMAG style plastic mag. They don't go into most guns not made by GMG, GNG, mm -hmm. um, and they they don't even go into some guns made by GNG. So these are things to sort of be aware of and think about. So I guess the the next part is so we've talked a little bit about barrel and hop and stuff like that. Uh, and, I, and I think, you know, you you did a really good job talking about, like, the progression in terms of the barrels, right? Like, don't just jump in and buy the most expensive one. Even if you have the money, it's just not good value, especially when you're starting out. The next piece, though, is what about the rest of it, right? We've talked at length in other podcasts about how we uh, value, like, air seal because it gives us the consistency we're looking for shot to shot, Right. What does that upgrade progression look like? Assuming that, for example, you don't have X number of dollars to just buy it all at once, right? Because not everyone is in that boat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, frankly, the only times I have been in that boat are when I sold another gun to pay for the new one kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, weirdly, I find that question relatively easy to answer. Um, so like first and foremost, uh, buy a LiPo alarm and put it in your gun. <laughs> assuming you don't have a MOSFET or, yeah, they, or there's not already one in there. Some, yeah, some, some there's one in your gun or it doesn't have a MOSFET. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but like, you know, if you're going to switch to LiPo batteries and you probably are going to want to um, just because they feel nicer to shoot with and people will recommend them to you. So you're going to get talked into it, I think, pretty quickly anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, that has been my experience with new players in the last five years. Uh, your mileage may vary. Buy a LiPo arm. They're $10, right? Um, my upgrade path for airsoft guns for new players is basically built around two ideas. The first idea is I want your gun to live as long as possible in between tinkering with it without issues, 
right? I do not want to have to crack your gun open every two weeks to fix it for you, even if that makes me money, you know? So I'm incentivized not to have to do that. And it, it sucks for you, right? It sucks for anyone who has to go, oh man, I have to take my airsoft part gun apart again for the fourth time in four weeks of trying to play. Yeah. Thing one for me, honestly, is if you have the chops or you have a tech who's willing to do it for you or able to do it for you, whatever, um, putting a, you know, gate $40 MOSFET in is a great idea. That's a really good upgrade because it gets you better trigger response, which most people like. Uh, it gets you that lipo safety without issues. Uh, they're not super complicated to install. It's a tiny bit of soldering, but it's not brutally hard. And they're a very feels good upgrade. Uh, you will notice the changes immediately. They will be pleasant. They will be fun. Bueno. At the same time, it's decreasing the wear and tear on every part of your gun. So it simultaneously does good things for your gun and makes you feel happy and isn't too expensive or too shitty to do. So yeah, that's that's a first sort of step for me. Uh, and that doesn't involve cracking the Mac box. And I do tend to tell people, you know, like if you're going to most gun techs charge for opening up a gun. So assuming your gun tech does charge for opening up a gun, you're kind of better off saving money to get a couple of things done at once if you can. You can get your spring changed while you're in there. Springs are $10. Um, and you have to take the spring out to put a MOSFET in. So, okay, cool. Not a problem, right? I should qualify. You have to do that on an M4. There are a couple of guns where you can install the um, gate MOSFETs without actually cracking the box. Uh, in which case, you know, if, I, if you happen to be running those, muy bueno. Uh, super nice, uh, even easier for you, right? Because you don't have to crack open the mech box. From there, uh, I would definitely go to your seal parts, right? The spring is a good early thing to change out, mostly if you need to, right? So if your gun shoots too hot for your field, obviously you got to get that changed right away. Uh, if you're finding that, you know, you have, um, you know, a gun that shoots super light and it's just, it's designed for CQB and you, you know, you bought it from a guy who'd trained it, who'd built it for CQB, uh, and you really aren't getting any range out of it because it's shooting, you know, 300, sub 300 FPS, that is probably a thing where you can go, okay, yeah, maybe I should look at, up, you know, changing the spring out. Yeah, or if you chrono and you're like, your field limit is like 1.59 joules or whatever, and you're shooting 1.01 and you have space in that cap, but you're like, hmm. you know, even if you're not necessarily underperforming, maybe you do decide, you say, okay, well, I'm just going to, jump my spring up one notch. And that's something that we've done in the past too, just because you want a little bit of more oomph without necessarily being in a sort of problematic zone or really having any performance issue. You see that you have the space, so you just take the opportunity, right? Yeah, I mean, we're all running the the midline. We're almost, I think everyone on our team is at this point running just below, like one step below the heaviest spring that our field lets you run in a normal rifle um, because it gives us all the oomph we need without like, having any issues with shooting people too hard and honestly mostly with uh <laughs> we don't like um you know cleaning up a gun at the beginning of the season and doing up the air seals so that it's beautiful and then going and being like oh we're four fps over because the air seals too good yeah yeah that's happened to me m multiple times actually that's a that's a painful experience um and i i want to add to that you know like the chronographs used at airsoft fields are not necessarily like expensive or nice uh and so yeah, air on the side of caution in that one, right? Um, like I, dro I dropped from an M120, which is a 450-ish, 470-ish FPS spring to an M110, which is a 421. And the difference in reach on my gun is noticeable, but only because I am so attuned to what my gun did beforehand 
uh, and the the net consequences to like my play are negligible. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you need to change the spring out, and you're opening the gun up anyway. Yeah, they're ten dollars, so do it. Other than that, yeah, air seal parts all the way. Um, so by air seal parts, you mean the cylinder, the piston, the piston head, the nozzle, and probably the tappet plate, maybe. So you shouldn't need to change out the tappet plate um, unless it's worn or something, which would be kind of weird. Like they're a part that basically you know fills super. Uh, in on them right now or and probably is going to continue to be because his was such a pain in the butt but that was more of a your gun problem the usual one Mm -hmm. Um, generally speaking buy tap buy tappet plate if you need to replace your tappet plate um otherwise if you're you know switching to a uh like a low next gearbox or whatever they'll come with one use the one they came with great done you know that's sort of that should be sort of problem free but yeah your nozzle your cylinder your cylinder head your piston head uh, I would say when you're doing that stuff that you almost always want to change out the piston, uh, it basically comes down to, is the piston a uh, piston with full steel teeth? So are the teeth on the whole piston steel? If they are, you don't necessarily need to do it. Although, again, they're like a $15-ish part. You know, we use SHS pistons. Um, they're not very expensive. They're not hard to work with. Given the cost, I would say, you know, generally speaking, if I'm doing this work for someone upgrading the piston costs them fifteen dollars uh getting me to crack open the mech box and do all of this costs them 50 or 80 dollars um or 100 dollars. so do it <laughs> mm-hmm, for sure um, you know and yeah uh close her back up and see how you feel right um and do the barrel and the hop up first because I'm not willing to say they'll make more of a difference, but it's easy and it's cheap, right? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and it's not hard. Their steel parts are also not terribly hard to do. I will note, you probably want to put a sorbo pad in there um, just because you're doing it. And once you're modifying that stuff, correcting the angle of engagement, putting in the sorbo pad is basically part of doing the job well anyway. And I'm, I'm a strong advocate for, for, even if you're figuring this out yourself, watch some videos, learn how to do it. It's very easy and it, will make a quality of life difference right it decreases the likelihood of failure in your gun and that is probably the most important part so if we do all of this we get a gun that uh, is less likely to break under cold weather conditions that is uh, less likely to damage itself if it locks up uh, and that shoots better great 10 out of 10. you can skip the mosfet and just do the air seal parts you'll get a gun that shoots better i'd still put in the mosfet myself because I want to run lipos and it keeps my gun working longer and better. So 10 out of 10. Yeah. And I think it's worth just noting here. Like the reason that it does that is because it replaces your trigger contacts. And in doing so, you now have a gun that doesn't have a trigger assembly anymore. And those trigger assemblies, normally what ends up happening is you're closing a circuit, which means that you have electricity just arcing in your, in your gearbox, it gets worn down. It's just, it's another part that can fail. So if you just take the part out and replace it with, well, nothing really, you replace it with the the MOSFET, that part's not going to fail anymore, unless your MOSFET dies, in which case, I mean, that's fine, but you're not going to get a part that is going to wear down in the same way, right? And so I will note that um, the FETs that we use are trigger replacement MOSFETs. You can get other trigger replacement MOSFETs. The gates that I mentioned earlier that are $40 are a wire in that keep that attaches to your normal trigger unit. Uh, the ones that don't replace the trigger unit decrease the arcing because the control of the um, uh, amount of electricity that's going through is much, much more refined. 
and when we've used those, it's because they're cheaper. Uh, there's one in my um, M1 Grand because I had one. Like I got the Grand and was like, I should put a Fed in this and did. But they decrease wear and tear, right? So even if you're not getting, you know, a trigger replacement, and those do tend to be more expensive, just putting a cheap one in gives you the functionality of sort of safely using lipo batteries without cooking anything. Uh, and super importantly, I think, means that you don't burn out parts of your gun as quickly, right? Because that trigger unit will eventually fail. They're not hard to replace, they're not expensive, but when they fail, you have to take the gun apart and that's a couple hours of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, if you can afford one of the trigger replacement guns, do it, they're brilliant, right? Like if you're ever looking at MOSFETs for airsoft guns and you have the option to put, you know, a Spectre FET in or uh, the Titan, I think it's the Gate Titan, the Gate trigger replacement, do it. Mm-hmm. That's that's the right play every time. If you're looking at, you know, oh, I, I want to put a MOSFET in this as cheaply as possible. Little $40 gates are not going to hurt you. They're, they work well. You know, I like them. I've used them in a bunch of things. I've built a bunch of guns that ran on them. You will eventually replace the trigger contacts. You will eventually replace all the parts that wear because of the trigger that you wouldn't have to do with a nicer MOSFET. But $200 is a lot of money. So I get it. Yeah, for sure. And especially if your base gun is not that expensive to begin with, you may not want to spend, like I said at the start, you may not want to spend that $200 when your base gun was also $200, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like again, wait that year, um, putting a Spectre in your, you know, your GNG Raider uh, will absolutely feel mint. Like you will be super happy. I guarantee it. Um, But it's a bit redundant. Like you're upgrading tremendously a gun that can only be upgraded so far and at that point you probably would have been better off like thinking about buying a better gun two other upgrades two other big upgrades that we haven't talked about really one is like the gearbox itself like the gearbox shell and some people make a big deal about that because oh well i know for example prometheus has a new split gearbox now that you can uh, you can swap the spring or you can replace the gears without opening the other half you can have split gearboxes like in the old ICS guns where you could, you know, had your cell, your spring up top and then your gears on the bottom, like all this kind of stuff. And they would like crack open in the middle. Uh, and then you have just really good quality gearboxes. Like I was using an old G&G gearbox for like years and years and years until I just very recently upgraded to like a Lonex. So um, that's one of the parts that we, ha- we haven't talked about yet, but also the motor, right? Motors, a lot of people... Uh, make a lot of noise about different kinds of motors. Oh, you should get a brushless motor. You should, you know, get a teenly motor. You should hand tune motors are better than, you know, other kinds of motors. So that's also something else to consider, you know, uh, in terms of your upgrade. Like, where does this fit in your overall upgrade plan? This comes back to sort of my notion that uh, that it's a progression, that it's an A leads to B leads to C kind of thing. So all the stuff we've talked about so far is either making your gun last more efficiently um, harder to break or about giving you sort of better shot shot accuracy. Um, and I admit I'm, uh, I'm talking from sort of a place of bias there. Those are the things I care about more than rate of fire. Uh, so if you want to put a really heavy spring in your gun, that's the point at which you go, okay, now I need to start looking at upgrading my gears and simultaneously my gearbox. So, um, upgrading your gearbox shell is more or less a side grade unless you're doing stuff that makes you worry about breaking it or you have the money to just go well i'd rather it never break uh we use lonex shells inside king arms bodies because we know that works great 
Uh, they also seem to work pretty well inside of GNP guns. That's a thing to do research on. Not every gearbox fits nicely inside of every um, shell. Yeah, the Lonex one was a tight fit in my GNP, but it got there in the end. Yep, absolutely. Um, whereas, you know, like I've uh, I've had to like grind down the inside of gearboxes and stuff to get Macbox shells to fit. And that's a huge pain and you don't want to be at it. Um, and it can usually be avoided just by uh, buying smarter. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so my recommendation there would be to, yeah, shop around and to uh, to be smart about it. Uh, in terms of, you know, the two-part ones or your uh, single-part ones, I would personally say that the split-level gearboxes that you can sort of take apart and mess around with the two parts independent of one another are, on the one hand, great. Like, there are a ton of things you can do with them, but all of them require you to know what you're doing at a moderate to high level of skill teching your soft guns. So if you aren't super comfortable and you don't know what all the parts in the gun do and what changing any of them would do, I'm not sure those are worthwhile for you to invest in. The Lonex gearboxes that we use, we use them, honestly, like I said, predominantly because they fit all the parts that we want and they're tough. And that's really why you're buying your upgraded gearbox is either I would like a gearbox where, you know, the bushings and stuff all fit correctly and don't fall out. So I'm trying to get away from, you know, like a stock cheap gearbox or I want this to be able to take a lot of impact. So for example, the reason initially that I put one in mind is that I was running an M120 spring, which is not crazy heavy, but it is heavier than average by a significant margin, right? Uh, And so I wanted it not to break my gearbox. So the reinforced gearbox had value for me. I, you know, was running that with an upgraded gear set and an upgraded motor. Uh, If you're not putting in an upgraded spring, and you're not aiming for a high rate of fire, you don't need an upgraded motor or an upgraded gear set. The stock ones will work fine. Over time, you may want to switch them out, right? Uh, so um, fixing your angle of engagement greatly increases your the longevity of your gears, right? They're less likely to break unless something locks up, which is probably the primary fault, fault point for gears anyway, is my gearbox locked up, I pulled the trigger a bunch of times, my motor eventually broke my gears. All right, cool. So if we're trying to avoid that, you know, upgraded gears are good, right? SHS makes nice ones. Uh, You can spend uh, anywhere from $20 to $120, I think, on sort of like upgraded steel tempered gears, right? Tempered steel. The result is you get tougher gears. I have not found a hugely measurable difference between the cheap ones and the expensive ones in terms of failure rate. Basically, I have very low failure rate on upgraded gears, period. We're all using SHS ones, which are on the cheaper side. Um, I have neither the training nor the tools to make a metallurgical analysis of them to tell you, oh, you know, how hard, how tough are these? Uh, And the companies making them are certainly not giving you like Rockwell ratings for their airsoft gears. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually would love it if they would. It would make my life vastly easier because uh, it would make this a lot more scientific in terms of modifying what's in a gun. But they're just, these are toy guns. They're not that interested in providing us with that data, period. Uh, and they're never going to be. So shrug. So I tend to think of it as sort of a self-assemblies thing, right? So if you're going to upgrade one of their seal parts in the Mac box, you should probably upgrade all of them simultaneously. 
because that will get you by far the best performance increase for your dollar. Uh, if you're upgrading uh, with an eye towards like increasing your FPS above say 400, think about even if they're standard ratio, you don't necessarily need high torque or high speed gears, but think about getting the upgraded better steel ones because the ones that we get out of the factory for most airsoft guns are uh, what we affectionately refer to as pop metal, right? They're mm, probably arguably steel, but like, um, you know, they're an off, made out of an offcast of an offcast of an offcast from an auto manufacturing plant. Like they're not good quality metal. You know, one of the things that you'll see a lot there is like when they when they break, you can look at them and go, oh man, this is really brittle steel. <laughs> yeah, we've seen that a few times. Um, and so if you're upgrading to a heavier spring, then you're upgrading the amount of stress on the system. The gears are the part that carries all the stress in the system for most of the system load. Therefore, think about upgrading. Uh, if you're not, you know, if you have the money, and again, like the Lonex ones are only 20 bucks, sure. But then you've got to shim them and all that stuff. And so it becomes, uh, there's an increase in complication when you start messing around with your gears. Uh, and it's not one that you can't learn to do. And it's not one that you shouldn't learn. It's just, you should be aware that it's an increase in complication. Uh, likewise, do not ever put a high torque motor or a high speed motor really, but especially not a high torque motor into a stock airsoft gun running stock gears. Because if it locks up, right? If your gearbox locks up and it's probably going to because you're increasing the amount of stress on it and you're increasing the amount of the, the cyclic rate of it, then your gears are going to stop and your motor is going to turn them to dust. <laughs> yeah. Um, because uh, so airsoft motors are used in other things, right? These little electrical motors that we're buying as airsoft motors are used in RC cars and a bunch of other sort of analogous products. Unlike many of the parts in your airsoft gun, the motor you're buying to put in an airsoft gun is actually made with a fairly high amount of QC, especially if you're buying an expensive one. Uh, QC quality control, sorry. One of the key things there is pinion gear, the gear at the top of your motor, is actually made out of properly heat-treated steel, right? It is genuinely a well-made piece of that mechanical component. Uh, if you're buying an $80 motor or a $100 motor for your airsoft gun, um, it's actually quite a well-made little thing. If you are running that with stock gears, and the gears system locks up, they're gone. So avoid that mistake. Um, likewise, you're probably better off not putting in a high torque or high speed motor, uh, distinction being high torque motors pull harder and high speed motors cycle quicker. Um, but either of them is likely to beat up your stock gearbox. Also, like I was saying, do not put them in without putting in the FET because the normal, you know, just eh, pull as much juice as you want system that runs an airsoft gun will drain your battery really quickly, damaging your battery often, if, especially if it's a LiPo, potentially damaging your gun a lot if the LiPo happens to, you know, go awry in there without an alarm or a vet. Uh, and it's just the parts that are in your stock airsoft gun are not capable of performing at the rate that a $100 motor will make them perform at. Yeah, I think that's the the important factor here is that the motor, like you said, is going to make the system or at least try to make the system do the work. And whether or not the 
the system can handle that load. The motor doesn't really care. The metal on the pinion gear, like you were saying, is harder than just about any other metal on your airsoft gun. Probably is the hardest piece of metal on your airsoft gun. And consequently, like you were saying, if you spin that motor, motor go burr, and whether or not the airsoft gun can actually keep up with that, the motor will still go burr. And if you're like your gearbox, you're saying are locked and they're like some of that brittle uh, metal that we were, we have seen a few times, like you said, let's turn them to dust. Yeah. And as, uh, as much fun as uh, taking, you know, uh, metal powder out of someone's airsoft gun before you can begin repairing it is hint. It is not terribly. Yeah. It's, it's just no good for any part of the gun. It's not even really like it. That's your motor will chew it up, but it's hard on the motor too. Uh, and you've spent a lot of money on your $100 motor, so you probably don't want that damaged either, right? Plus, you know, metal dust. Don't breathe this. Yeah, man. <laughs> so that being said, I mean, realistically, the motor will likely be one of the last things that you actually end up upgrading in your gun. It certainly will come after your your barrel and your hop-up assembly, and it probably should come after your air seal, which is going to make it one of the last things. And if we think about my gun, my personal gun, that is absolutely one of the last things that I put in there, right? Aside from the gearbox swap that we did uh, earlier this summer, the teenly motor that I put in there was basically the last part. And it's probably worth noting there that like you don't need to go upgrade your uh, your gear, your gearbox just to put in you know a better set of gears and a better motor. Um, it helps; it increases longevity, but it's not you know an immediately necessary thing. Um, we did have to replace Phil's gearbox pretty much because of it, but like it lasted fine for a couple of years before we needed to do that. It was just like, oh, yeah, all right, cool, time to do that. Not a problem. Mm -hmm. And there's a reality there that we, I think, have addressed in the previous episodes about tacking, but if in case we haven't, you know, and I think it speaks to, uh, to Jordan's question as well. So this is a system, it takes wear and tear. Right. One of the things that people don't think about when they're talking about airsoft upgrades and going, oh, I want to upgrade my gun is often that the more you upgrade it, the more parts of it you've messed around with. So the more you've made it a fine-tuned machine designed to do really you know, tidy, specific things, uh, the more likely it is in the long term to require maintenance. Uh, so the rifles that we have built for our airsoft team are to sort of use a car metaphor are sort of in that, you know, hot rotted category, right? Like we have done things to them that we know will give us the performance we want. And that we also know will upgrade up the maintenance hours on them. Um, we use uh, a lower torque gear set and higher torque motor. It does great things for what we want, specifically trigger response, but like it does increase the amount of downtime for our guns. So one of the things you should be aware of is that as you uh, start tinkering with parts of these, you are pushing towards, all right, we may have to do more maintenance. Um, so if you're putting in a better hop-up bucking and you are putting in a type ore, be aware that you'll probably never have to replace your type ore unless something goes terribly awry because it's made of steel and the things you're shooting are made of plastic. You know, I suppose it could happen, but it's very unlikely. Your hop-up rubber is disposable, right? The bucking is disposable. You're going to have to replace it periodically, probably every year, every two years, depending on how much shooting you do. And it's very easy to check. Take the barrel out, look at the hop-up bucking. If the bucking looks visibly worn, replace it. Um, you know, if it permanently has a dent from your hop-up unit, yeah, all right, probably replace it. You know, if it's if it's more than, you know, six months old uh, and you've done a fair bit of shooting. 
upgrading your ISO parts, assuming it's done correctly, will decrease wear and tear on your gun. This is one of the reasons I recommend it, right? So you'll get better performance. And if you do that sorbo pad uh, angle of engagement correction correctly, it decreases the amount of energy being put onto stressing the system. This is excellent. Anything you do that messes with the gears. So if you are changing the ratio of the gears, if you are changing the amount of torque from a standard motor, if you're changing the weight of your spring above about, again, you know, 400, 410, you are increasing the likelihood of the system to fail. That's fine if you do it correctly. And it's fine to learn and screw it up. I know this because I learned and screwed it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Phil can attest that one of the things I've learned out of teching is that there's a bunch of stuff I just keep spare around now. You know, so I usually have about $100 worth of parts kicking around just in my, uh, in my toolbox in case shit breaks because we live in Newfoundland and like it's a seven day wait to get parts mail order. Yeah, right? so exactly. I can keep, you know, a $20 piston in case something goes awry with a piston. I will. The ultimate sort of like, I guess, end statement there is, yeah, probably leave the gears and the spring and the motor, especially for last. Uh, and be aware that when you're putting those parts in, when you're upgrading those parts, you are absolutely doing the part that is going to cause you problems, that is going to cause you increased time on the bench with the gun open repairing stuff. That doesn't mean it can't be worth your while. It doesn't mean that, you know, it's going to be an egregious, tor torturous amount of time for the most part. But it's a thing to be aware of before you start upgrading those parts. So guys, we hope you found this discussion helpful. Jordan, we hope you answered your question. Uh, please let us know in the comments what you think, uh, if there's anything else you'd like to know. Gun teching is certainly something that can be extremely frustrating, but at the same time can really yield positive results and it's important to do it correctly. So I think Pat and I will both uh, sort of attest there's a lot to be said about doing as much research as you can, reading up about stuff, watching tutorials if you're not sure, but also being prepared to fail and learn from your failures in order to do better next time. Uh, that's and sort of the mantra of our team in general, I feel, not just with respect to teching, but learn from your mistakes. You're going to make them, so you might as well learn from them, right? Absolutely. And uh, I think that this actually uh, might be advice that translates to the field as well for some people, not that it's uh, it's a big thing for anyone on our team, but hey, you know, there's a point with gun teching where you're actively considering throwing the gun across the room at the nearest like hard surface that's usually the time you should go, I'm done with this for the day. I'm going to look at something else. Um, you know, uh, there's probably a point in some people's day at Airsoft where they're considering throwing one of the nearby players at the nearest hard surface. And <laughs> maybe you should chill for a few minutes too. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in and we will talk to you next week. Cheers, guys. Uh, thanks for listening.